Welcome to the Flourish Conference podcast. Each spring, women from all over the country gather together at our annual conference to learn, grow, and flourish together as a community. Here is the recording from one of our sessions at our 2023 conference. Good morning. I never know what time of day this is. It's like kind of brunch. So, well, I am thrilled that you guys actually voluntarily came to a class on vulnerability. And perhaps because you thought maybe Pastor Marion was teaching it, but you're tricked. So lock all the doors. <laughs> you're all in here for the ride. So, But I'm super excited to talk to you about vulnerability. And not from, an expe- not from just theory, but from actual experience of being a person who was a little guarded, shall we say. So um, the beauty of vul- vulnerability, it is truly a bid for connection. Um, we are made in the image of God. And we are created to be, to be seen and to be found. Yes, to be heard and to be loved, but I'm going to focus on being seen and being found. I've been reading, uh, maybe The Chosen has just kind of got me really excited about the Gospels again, but yeah, so good. But, um, you know, I've been, things have just been highlighted to me, and the first thing is the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes and finds the one, and then there's a woman who lost the coin, right? And then there's the prodigal son, And, you know, I find in all these scriptures that he is a God that endures, right? He comes and he finds us in the struggle. Not when we're all clean, not when we got it all together, but he comes in the midst of the muck and the mire. And so I believe that it's a God-created design in each of us to be pursued, to be found, to be embraced exactly as we are. Now, I know the Father wants to do things through us, and we grow through sanctification and the redemptive work of the cross, but today we're going to talk a little bit about um, vulnerability and how that relates to us and where maybe we have gone wrong. So I want to read John 17, 22 to 23. It says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, this is Jesus speaking, that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. So he's saying, talking about, you know, the Trinity is telling us, is exhorting us so that when they see you, they will see me. And so right there I see that God has placed in each of us this desire to connect. We are relational beings. We can't get away from that. Often it's the people that hurt us, but those are the... God is also using relationships to heal those very, very things. I think, Lord, I wouldn't have done it that way, but um, he did, and I'm so thankful that he did. So, um, you know, we start with our relationship with God. There's something about being vulnerable. This weekend, as we've be- begun to engage in God, there's a level of vulnerability that we had to go before the Lord. And we had to often come up here, or you had an altar right there where you were sitting, And you began to ask the Lord, what are those areas, Father, that need to be touched by you, right? And some of you knew it, but there was that vulnerability perhaps of coming up to somebody and saying, I'm struggling with this. I have never spoken this, right? And in that moment is where I believe God God meets us. And so I wanted to read um, something. I I wrote this. Um, It was during, oh, that season where there was that little pandemic happening, We'll just refer to it as that. So I have um, a lot of little grandbabies. Um, well, there will be 10 under 8 years old. And um, when about 2 or 3, they just love that little hide-and-seek game. You know, they, 
they you know run and hide. But what's so cute with little two-year-olds is they tell you where they're going to hide. So they'll say, um, they call me hot dog. That's Talk about being seen and known. My grandkids call me hot dog, and I am good with that. And I was going to wear my hot dog T-shirt, but either I grew or it shrunk. I'm, it shrunk. Definitely shrunk. It's cotton. It shrunk. So I didn't wear my T-shirt, but... But in that place, I am known and seen. I was going to wear that, but I didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't fit. But anyways, so um, what little Elsie would do, at the time she was three, and she'd say, hot dog. We, we would go to, you guys don't live around here, Lemon Lake. And it, this was during, you know, that, that sickness that, that was supposedly going all over everywhere. And, you know, we had to stay home and stay distance. And so we would go, we would go, um, no sarcasm, please. We, <laughs> Sanctify my mind and my words, Lord, right now in Jesus' name. So we would go to, um, to, to play, right? And she would do this. She said, hot dog, I'm going to go hide behind that tree. And, and you're going to count. And then you're going to find me. And she'd giggle. I have a video, but I, you know. And she would run and giggle. And then I would say, where's Elsie? Is she over here? Is she over? And she's got white hair. You can't miss her. Blue eyes. And, and she'd peek over. And, and, and I wouldn't meet. And she'd say, hot dog, I'm here, you found me, you know, over and over, we would play it at the house, and she'd be like, I'm going to hide in the closet, in the back room, I'd say, okay, where's Elsie, have you seen Elsie, I haven't seen Elsie, and over and over again, what Elsie was doing is she wanted to be found, right, I think we're a lot like Elsie, I think we're, in our human nature, we want to be found. That's the whole redemptive work of what Jesus has done. He came, right, from glory to earth to meet us in our humanity, to find us. And he's coming for us again. We're not there yet, right? We're in that middle. We're not in the Garden of Eden, right? And we're certainly not um, where Jesus has returned. We're kind of in that in-between. So I wrote a little something. I'll just read it from my Instagram It says, do you recognize this game? This was hide and seek. I'm sure you do. We play it a little different per her rules as she always tells me where she's hiding. I'm going behind that tree and and so the game begins. I go one, two, three. And by the time I get to five, right? Here I am. Like, I don't even get to 10. Hot dog, I'm over here, I'm over here, I'm over here. And I pretend I I don't see her, but her response is the same over and over again. I'm over here. I'm over here. Um, That's all her little heart needs is to be pursued and to be loved. And I said, have you ever felt like this little three-year-old in the sense that all your heart needed was affirmation and to be found and to be loved and to be longed for? And for some, perhaps this core need has not been met. I go on to say, much like in the account in Genesis 3 where God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? God is asking us the same, only we don't offer him coordinates like my granddaughter. I'm behind the bed or behind the tree that has little white flowers. Um, Like Adam and Eve, we cover in our nakedness and we hide. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'll share a little bit about my story as well as we go forward. So um, we see in Genesis 2 where the couple was naked and unashamed. I always marvel at naked and unashamed, like it could have been many words, um, naked and excited, like men and women, like naked, like, okay, let's just be honest, lady. You, 
Pastor Marion, you talked about sex yesterday. Don't give me that pious religious look right now, ladies. They were naked and they were unashamed. Okay. So they could have, scripture could have used a lot of words. They were naked and happy. They were naked and fulfilled, but they were naked and unashamed, which means we need to be vulnerable in this area. So, but then we see Genesis 3. It says, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. He said to the woman, did God actually say that you shouldn't eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Uh, Neither will you touch it or you will die. But the serpent said, oh, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make her wise, she ate it. And then, of course, she gave it to Adam. But the Lord, and so then um, the eyes of them, um, excuse me, on verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool. Can you imagine walking with God? previously unashamed, communing with God, right there with you every day. And um, in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence, and the Lord uh, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the Lord says, who told you? You were naked. Who told them? They had just been walking in the cool of the day. And then, you know, the rest of the story. So uh, to me, it's over simplification just to say that they were disobedient in rebellion and they wanted interdependence from God because they had experienced this community, this communion with him that was open and free and a port, talk about a portal as we've heard um, from heaven right there to God. So how in the world did Adam and Eve come up with a decision like that, right? So I think many of us, while we can judge what they did, how could they do that? I think if we're honest, many of us can put ourselves into that very same scenario, but maybe in 2023. We know what it's like to entertain a thought, right? And then that thought kind of grows and it becomes reality. And what we think is true, now we know it's true. Oh, I know it's true. I have proof in my life. Right? What was the thought that grew inside the heads of Adam and Eve? May I suggest that doubt around God's love and good intentions for, for humankind was spoken into the souls of Adam and Eve? He says right here, God does not want you to be like him. He does not want you to have what he has. He does not want you to be as close and connected as you might think he does. You are not as important as you think. You're not really loved. Because if I were your creator, I would have let you have free range of this whole garden. Now that's not in the scripture, but that's kind of my interpretation of what the enemy might say to me to get me to walk away from walking with a pure relationship with the Lord to full, I am naked and, and ashamed. 
And so, the great universal hiding game begins in humankind. Enter shame. Shame has made its debut. God comes and asks, Adam, where are you? Now, he didn't need to know. God knew. Are you kidding? God knew where he was. Eighth tree on the left <laughs> by the bush. I mean, he knew where he was. He was asking him. He was, where are you? Right? Where are you? And so, you know, I was thinking about how shame is, um, how it pulls us apart. And I was thinking as humans, we're storytellers. Like, like I, when Mary was, Miss Mary was telling her story, I needed the pens in the front row because Chippy just got to me in a way that most stories haven't. I could maybe read her notes and I wouldn't have laughed half as hard as the woman herself telling. She's an amazing storyteller. And um, so there's parts of the story that I was kind of adding to, like what Chippy might have looked like and what it felt like and just all of it. And just Chippy in the cage with a blow dry, you know, or perm, whatever Chippy had. And being silenced, you know. And, um, you know, that's why you see it like when there's a car accident or something. There's 20 reports. You get 20 different things. Right? How does that happen? Exactly. Our perception, what what we think. So um, here's some ways shame has made its way. It's uh, maybe an acquaintance walks up to you and doesn't talk. Yeah, they don't like you. A coworker wants you to do a report and you don't get it done on time. And maybe something is said and you go, yeah, he thinks I'm thinks I'm stupid, right? Maybe you've shared in your small group about uh, one of your children and they're struggling in school and they come, you know, up to you Sunday and say, hey, how are things are going? And you're like, they think I'm a bad parent. They don't think I can do this. They, they, they think, I'm a hor- you know, think I'm a horrible mom. They think I'm, I'm not good at what I do. And any one of these what would be like this innocuous experience begins to distance us. Because we begin to lean into some of the lies. And sometimes we might find ourselves lashing out at that person or being cold or aggressive or passive aggressive or dismissive, all in an attempt to protect ourselves and to cover the shame that we're feeling. So I wrote down behind those reactions are the whispers of shame. There you go again. You always fail at those things, Beth. You'll never be as successful as her. You'll never be able to articulate as her. Why would she walk away from you? Why would you let her get that close? You know better. You know better. You know you've been hurt. Why do you trust people? No one will really understand you. Just keep it to yourself. You don't really need people. You're good. You're independent. You're strong. Just, you got this. Or you're stuck. Nothing will ever change. People will always let you down. You know what, Beth? They'll leave you once they get to maybe know you, see that there's some imperfections. So keep your mask up really high and tight and clean, okay? I can just tell you, those are some of mine, but the devil is a liar. The father of lies. Father of lies. He starts early in life. He does not play fair. He does not play fair. There are no referees out there when we're in, a, in well, we have, we have the great judge, but he comes early in life to kill, to seek, to destroy. I can tell you this, with our little girl, Elsie, 
that hiding and isolating, she's just innocent. She wants to be seen and found. But see, as we get older, we get wiser. Maybe you've been playing hide and seek in your family of origin, but you were never found. And so rather than dealing with those and being vulnerable with some people and getting that out, we've told ourselves, it's okay. I'm strong. I don't do women. They're kind of trauma anyways. A little bit much. I'm not, not, emotions, I don't really, they're overrated. I don't really need emotions. They don't get me anywhere. I don't want to be extra strong. We got to be strong. So here's how hiding and isolating can come in many forms. We can be avoidant. We can withdraw. We can shift blame to others. It wasn't me. It was her, him, them. I can tell you every addiction in your life is fueled by shame. I'm bold enough to say that, and I will stand behind that. (laughs) Because intimate relationships, yes, they may run the risk of rejection or abandonment, but addiction, it'll just keep you in. It'll numb temporarily. It's like pouring water in a colander. It feels good until it runs through all the holes, and then you're left with yourself and the shame. Perfection, those of you that are perfectionists, you're not just always doing things in excellence. I'm speaking to myself so I can get sassy up here. <laughs> if I get sassy, it's usually coming at me because I'm in that process of fighting that thing and getting victory. It often goes hand in hand with addictive behaviors as well. And behind every perfectionist is this little shame attendant saying, You can't be wrong. Don't fail. Don't let them know. You- can't do it. There's no room for error. It's a I have to or else mentality. So some of us have shame-laden memories, unresolved memories that keep us up, stories that have not been told because of shame, keeping them from other people. But however, we've all felt choosing to be vulnerable creates space for connection, but it also creates space for rejection. Right? I'm being honest. We could be loved, option one. We could be seen, we could be known, we could have a great friend. Option number two, we could be wounded. Am I speaking the truth? Okay. We could be wounded. They could choose not to accept us. They could use this new information to share in a prayer meeting about your situation. But it was in prayer. We were just praying for you because you, we, we, needed, you know, we needed to pray for you. So here's the deal. What's worse, being wounded or being lonely, protecting yourself from being hurt or distancing yourself from people? So the danger of being in community is, yes, we can be hurt, but the danger of distancing, ladies, it's a train wreck. It's an emotional train wreck. It is an emotional train wreck. The stakes are high. You're, yeah, I fear being wounded. But your need to be loved was given by God. It cannot be erased. It cannot be squelched. It cannot be fabricated. It it cannot be given away to some relationship that is not a spouse. Something must change. So, something must change. I'll start with me. There you go. We're talking about vulnerability, right? So, I struggled with unforgiveness. Didn't know it, but 
like little cuts, you know, little, 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 until they're big, right? And so um, we're all church people, right? Okay. Sometimes people leave the church, right? Sometimes they do it right, and they maybe go to the pastors, and they share openly, and God is moving them or whatever. And sometimes they do it (laughs) wrong. They leave in anger. There's no resolve. They just get up and leave. And you're like, well, what was that? And I, you know, mom, did you, why did a hundred people leave? And honey, you know, as much as I do. I'm like, what? You, you know, as much as I do. I'm like, they didn't talk to you. Right. So see, here's me. Church started when I was about 18. And so I am, I'm watching them invest. I'm watching them pour into people. I'm watching them give their life. What I saw on Sunday, I saw Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so when people would leave, and again, I'm not elevating them on a position higher than the Lord or anything. Hear a daughter's heart. I got ticked. I got ticked. Because they had been with me through thick and thin. And you're just going to walk out here and leave? Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. So you know what I did? Mm. I started putting up the bricks. I was the great protector at five feet four. In the spirit, I was back there at those doors. And I was like, you ain't leaving. Not leaving. We're going to get this thing right. Because I'm a peaceable person. I'm going to get your side. I'm going to talk to... Mom and Dad or Pastor Marion, and then we're gonna meet. I'm gonna mediate. I can do this. I'm peaceable. I'm really good at, at mediating problems. Really good at that. Let's go. Let's bring it. Well, when people are hurt, they don't want mediation. They want retaliation often. So I began to put up walls, brick by brick. If I had bricks, I'd line them up. I had a gorgeous castle. I thought all I did was decorate around it. I added plants in the spring. I. I put up, you know, Christmas lights in the winter, and it looked amazing. I redid my door. I looked good. I looked good. Except inside, I didn't like you. Ouch. I didn't like you. But here was the problem. I needed you. That's really messy. I believed the lie. Number one, the people aren't safe. I never believed that. I, all, I came in a home that we loved people. Um, you know, I never heard things like, oh, people are bad. I didn't get that growing up. They didn't feed this. But I am a very justice person. Right, Jocelyn? Justice. And so there's justice. And there's a right way, and there's a wrong way. And you did it the wrong way. And you will not do that again to my family. Now, they weren't telling me to do that. I was doing that. The enemy was talking, and I was going a, a, a little louder. Oh, well, he didn't have to speak louder because I was leaning so far into him. I heard everything he was saying. You know what I did? Michelle, like, shook my head, and I said, you're right. These sheep bite. They bite hard. But you know what? I'm going to be tougher. Oh, I still served. I still ran the encounters, did small groups, ministered in prayer, 
met and counseled with you, <laughs> but I didn't trust you. I could hear your story. You're not hearing mine. Yeah. So I believe that people aren't safe. I love the body of Christ, and I was beginning to realize that his people hurt. I began to bleed out relationally. Because that's what shame does. Yeah. Uh, Guilt says, hey, Beth, you did something wrong. You might want to go apologize and make that right. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing, like, healthy guilt. Shame says, yeah, you're wrong. You're the problem. You're why they left. I had nothing to do with it that I know of. Maybe I did. I don't know. (laughs) And I began to have these little cuts that went unattended. So rather than just having like a little scrape from people, my whole arm was severed. How's your arm? My arm, what are you talking about? I got nothing going on. Great. No problem. Looks like you're having a hard time. No, I'm fine. If I could have had a t-shirt... During that season would have been, I'm fine. The other lie, I believe that I, I needed your approval. I needed man's approval to be loved. I, I did. I, I wouldn't have said that back then, but as I step out of it, I needed your approval. If somebody came with a dissenting, like, I didn't really like what you said, or I think you read that scripture out of text. Ah, this is what I heard. You shouldn't be up there. You're only up there because, like, you're the pastor's, well, now the sister. Otherwise, sister, you'd be, you'd be in the back row. You'd be out. You wouldn't even be here. They don't want you. You're a token. Oh, okay. So, and if I'm honest, I believe that I had to be or do to be loved. I believe that I had to perform. I believe that if I could, I was only as good as what I could bring to you. Think about doing that to every person you meet. How rested do you feel? It's exhausting exhausting. I did it as far as I could until I didn't. I didn't take the thoughts captive. I was waiting for you to leave. I was waiting for you to disappoint and criticize me. So you know what I did? I said, tag, I'll just go first. Hey, Monica, how's it going? Great. Awesome. Right. But inside. Now we could meet for coffee. Sure. Is it on you? I'm there. I could meet But relationally, oh no, 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 no. So imagine doing all the things with an underlying doubt and trust in the very people that God has called you to serve. I did it until I couldn't do it. And when I couldn't do it, I didn't even know what I was doing at the time, but I actually did something right. I went out in our property with a lot of land in the back, and I was like, you know what, God? This is on you. And I've never done this in my life because I've been very reverent and I've been a good church girl. I'm like, you know what? You're the one that put me in this family. You're the one that planted me here. You're the one that put these people in my life. And he said, you're right. I did, Beth. And the problem is you need them more than they need you or than you need me. I remember exactly where I was I can remember walking around that track in the back going, oh, you did not just say that to me. <laughs> I, mean, I was being real honest with God. You really just said that. To me. I knew he said that because I know my father's voice. I know his, even in the midst of that, I knew his voice. I knew his voice of correction. I had an amazing father who spoke to me in love. 
So I knew what it was like to be corrected by a father that loves you and wants nothing but the best for you. And so I began on a healing journey. And this went on for many years, and I kind of pulled myself um, away from ministry to get healing. Just spent time with the Lord, began talking as God brought things up to people and getting different perspectives and just realizing the issues of my heart, the issues of my heart. And I'm not saying you have to do what I did. I just felt that's what God was telling me to do. And I, um, I'm going to move forward here a little bit. Um, did what David did. There's a scripture in Psalms 142 where he's hiding in a cave and he's like, God, where are you? Your enemies surround me and they do this and they do that. And they're coming to take after me. And God, my soul's in prison and why, you know, kill them and throw them and dash their heads against the rock. And then he comes back and he says, but you, O oh Lord, are my rock. You're my refuge. You're my salvation. You, you cover me. You capture me. Just like, just like you protected me out, you know, with the, the, the bear and the wolf and etc. See, he lamented here. When we don't lament here, guess where it goes? Boom, Penny, you're it. Mary, you're next. Madison, you're next. Zoe, all the way down. It comes out relationally. And I'm not the problem, you are. And God's saying, Beth, you you need to have a little more psalms in your life. You need to be crying out to me here. Let's talk to me about what's going on. I have the answers. Don't react this way. And mine wasn't verbally. I would just pull away from you. Some people could be more. I I was just, you know. But I want to move forward a little bit. That testimony of unforgiveness. So I had been on like three or four years of just getting with the Lord and everything. And there were some, you know, false beliefs and lies that I had believed about who I was and who you were and a lot of things. And around that time, my father had passed. And I can tell you, it's, I'm, I literally, I stood right here and greeted people. And there were hundreds of people that had left. And do you know, as I stand before the Lord right now, there was nothing but love, empathy, compassion. I cried with people. I hugged people. I engaged with people. Some asked me out to talk. I had no agenda. I don't think they had an agenda. I'm telling you, ladies, that wasn't me. God had done a work, and who he sets free is free indeed. But that came with me being really vulnerable, really vulnerable. Can you imagine trying to mourn the death of my dad? Feeling that in your heart toward the people that were coming, that would have been a disaster. But that didn't rise up in me. I remember leaving, and days later I was like, Father, thank you. Thank you. And so, for me, it was coming. I had these, these masks that I had, right? So the mask was, I need to be seen as competent or lovable or whatever, but inside, it was I'm insignificant, right? Not good enough, uh, incapable. And so I'm running around like this. But the reality is, this is what's going on. And so I can tell you in closing that vulnerability, ladies, it's God's intention. It's God's intention for us. You need to bring your fears to him. Yeah, there's risks in being vulnerable, Right? You have to determine if the person's safe. When you decide, I'm ready to go forward, then you give the gift of going next. 
So now I say, hey, I'm going to share. The person in your group goes, you know what? Now I have permission to share. But here's the beauty of Jesus. You know, he comes to us in the garden. When he met them, he clothed them. And so I just want to ask you tonight, um, man, when, when, the father, when Adam and Eve fell, the Lord's response to them was that, you know, he clothed them. He didn't reject them. He wasn't harsh. He wasn't condescending. He wasn't hateful. But he came and he met them right where they were at. And you, what are the parts from you that you're hiding from God? What are the parts that you, and I'm not talking the good, I'm, I'm talking the parts that bring you shame. And I believe with my whole heart, ladies, that God is seeking you out. He's been seeking you out. And he's seeking you out now. Today he's offering you an opportunity to be known. Oh, not just the pretty little parts of you that are all together today, but the parts of your past. The 10-year-old part where you were shamed. The 15-year-old part where maybe something was done to you. The 18-year-old part where you were taken advantage of. I'm talking all of those parts. For it is in being known that shame loses its power in your life. So the next time you want to hide in shame from the accuser's lies about who you are or what you've done, I want you to run out of hiding and remember my little three-year-old granddaughter, Elsie, and say, Father, here I am. I'm over here. First Corinthians says, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see fully face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will be fully known. And I just really want to encourage you to be fully known, to begin to share the parts of yourself. It doesn't, I don't mean with the audience, with the mic. I'm talking with maybe one or two people that are safe, that know you, that have walked out a journey of healing, that you're holding on saying, I want what you have, and I promise you, God will meet you right there. Amen. You can continue to learn, grow, and flourish with us as a community of women by visiting nrpflourish.com. There you will find information on our Facebook group, our weekly Flourish podcast with Penny Tusi, and our 2024 Flourish dates. For more information about NRP and other conferences that we have going on throughout the year, visit nrpastors.com. We can't wait to see you at one of our conferences soon.